0: Good morning to everybody, especially to the dads in the house. Uh, I want to wish you a very happy Father's Day. And uh, I want you to know, as we saw in our opening clip, the very beginning of our service, how vital you are as a dad. Uh, We live in a society that is in a crisis because dads have backed away from their responsibility for one reason or another. There's a lot of father bashing that's going on in our society today. And here in this place, we're not going to bash you. We want to lift you up. We want to tell you how important you are, how God wants to use you, how he has a plan for your life. And uh, for all you future dads in the house, too, you need to know now. I'm just a teenager. I'm just a college student. Hey, you need to understand if you get the opportunity to be a dad, how vital you are to our society. It can make all the difference. And we appreciate all the dads in the house and uh, just one quick note, you're not allowed to eat your cake pop here in the front part. In the back part, you can go ahead and have it. So if you need to move to the back, go right ahead. And all the graduates, too, congratulations. Uh, today, we're, we're in the middle of our, our series called Christian. And the reason we've been looking at this, this series is because we've been looking at what is it? What is a Christian? Uh, what it isn't. And, and our title today is called "Angry Birds." OK Angry Birds." And I have an angry bird here with me Okay? Funny now. We'll see if you laugh later. But we we're looking at this word "Christian, and what one is and what one is not. And we've discussed that it's a term used by non-Christians to describe followers of Jesus. In fact, the word was, was invented or introduced by people outside looking in at the followers of Jesus and said, Those are Christians. They came up with the name in the first century. But Jesus' followers never called themselves that word. And Jesus never called his followers Christians. It was something that was completely made up by outsiders. What is Christian? It's not defined anywhere in the Bible. You'd be surprised to know. It's nowhere in the Bible. It's in the Bible three times, but it's not defined. It's just a name. And maybe that describes, you know, you can basically believe and do whatever you want and call yourself a Christian. And that's why we have the situation that we have in our society today that... You know, Christians are on both sides of every issue, both political, financial, international, even family issues. You've got two people in a family that don't speak to each other and both believe they're Christians. You know that in the World War Two and World War One, both sides declared that they were Christians. Both both groups of soldiers had Bibles in their backpacks and were praying to they thought the same God just different translations of the Bible both thought that they were Christians see basically this is what we've come up with is that you can't really define the word but when you open the New Testament to find out what a follower of Jesus looks like it looks terrifyingly it's terrifyingly clear I mean it's crystal clear and it'll scare you because it's so well-defined. And that word that we've been using and that the Bible uses over 250 times is what word? Anybody remember? Disciple. See, that's the word that Jesus called his followers. And that's how they identified with each other when they'd say, are you a disciple? Not, not Christian. And so that's how they did it. And, and so Jesus, when he introduced his ministry... He told them this, the most important thing, this is what will define you as my follower, the way you love. And he told them this, I want you to love, not just the way we think about love, but I want you to love people the way I love people. Because we all think we know what love looks like. But Jesus says, I don't want you to go by your reference point, I want you to go by my reference point. And that's what we've been looking at. How did Jesus love? How did he do that? And when you look at the Gospels and you see the way Jesus loved, it challenges you to the core. And that's what all of us have been really looking at. We don't want to settle for Christian. We want to be followers of Jesus. And our world has lost touch. We've lost touch with what does it mean to follow Jesus? And it's huge for all of us. And so last week we looked at this, this whole picture that John, the Apostle John, he was, it's the fourth Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's the fourth gospel. He wrote this and he described Jesus. And this is, this is what he said about Jesus. He said this, the word became flesh. It's like Jesus came here, the word of God. It's almost as if the word of God came to life and became God in a bod and walked around he ate with us he camped with us we could see face to face what god would be like eye to eye and he made his dwelling among us and then he said this he said we have seen and he didn't mean we as you know we we but rather they we meaning the apostles we have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what grace and truth this is what john saw and this is what we looked at last week is the amazing fullness of god of both grace and truth and this is probably one of the most Pivotal, important issues when it comes to following Jesus. And the truth is, is that many of us have come from a background where we've either had too much of one or too much of the other. You know, with parents, if you were raised in a single single parent home, you probably were raised in a situation where you got one of too much of the other. You know, if you were raised in a house with too much grace means you probably lacked structure. You probably lacked, you know, truth. You're very deceived about who you are and, and what's right and wrong. You were kind of out there. You went off the rails, right? But if you were raised, you know, in a, in a truth home where there was too much truth, that probably can explain away some of your excessive compulsive behaviors. Because everything's got to be exactly right. But so you can go right back to the core and find out why. Because there was either one or the other. And some of us come from a background where we came, we were raised in a truth, in a, in, a, in a church where there was too much truth. And we were, we pushed back from that. Or we came from a church that, that there was too much grace and we pushed back from that. Because in both settings where you've got too much of one or the other, you feel something is missing. I want more truth. I need, I need more grace. I, you know, we need to hear about more grace. But Jesus was both, and we all both know what we all know what truth and grace is. Truth says this, you're accountable. Grace says this, you're forgiven. Grace says, you're fine. Truth says, You're broken. You need to get fixed. There's something wrong with you. Grace says, it's going to be okay. Truth says, you need to work at it. And grace says, I love you. And what John came, he says, here's what I saw. Here's what I came in contact when I was with Jesus. I saw the two, grace and truth, come together in perfect harmony. And I saw that both of them. They were full of grace and truth. And this is Jesus. Not too much, not too much. Perfectly full of both. And this is our goal as a church. This is our goal as individuals. This is is who I want to be. And it takes work. Because based on our personality, based on how we're wired, we vacillate to one or the other. But this 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 fluctuating back and forth creates so much havoc in our lives. And, you know, last week we we looked at, you know, the, the, the two extremes and and what we want is 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 grace and truth. And many groups lack one of the others we talked about. But last week we saw how Jesus navigated through this type of love. And we looked at the woman at the well in John chapter 4. We looked at Matthew, one of the authors of one of our Gospels, and how Jesus treated him. We looked at the woman caught in adultery. Remember that? How Jesus loved her. How it was both grace and truth. And then the fourth one was the thief on the cross. And if you'd like to listen to that last week, you can go to our website and you can listen to it or watch it and get the podcast. I highly recommend it. Because of what the content addresses. But this week, we're going to have a Father's Day look at God's heart and how He sees people. How He demonstrates this. And how Jesus, He, he pulled His audience together and He demonstrated in His teaching this. Full of grace and truth. And you know the amazing thing about what we're going to look at today? Is Jesus' audience. His audience was completely divided and they were split. And that's what makes it so significant how Jesus, when he described this, on one hand, you had truth seekers. You know, you had the group that they they've been raised and they've been brought up and they belong to the truth church. And that was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They wanted truth and they wanted to stand for truth. And so what were they listening for when they heard Jesus speak? And then you had the tax collectors in their own category, the worst of the worst, the bad to the bone type of people and sinners. And what what were they looking for? What were they listening for when they heard Jesus? Grace. They needed grace. And so you can imagine Jesus is sitting here and he's, and he's, he's addressing both groups of people. And the other one group felt that they were alienated from God. And would never have God's approval. The other group felt that they were already in good standing with God and they already, God already approved of them. And so Jesus is speaking to both groups. And he saw a huge need in both of them. And guess what? There's a huge need in every one of us here today. Because I promise you, you come from either one or the other of these groups. And I would even include myself in this. That there's imbalance in all of us. And that we need, if we really want to understand the heart of God, if we really want to understand the heart of Jesus, we need a balance of both. And you know, Jesus was the master teacher. You know what a good parent would do? A good parent would stand back from a situation and he would look at both and he'd say, what's the best approach to working out this tension? Right? I didn't always do that. Need to learn from Jesus. But Jesus, he saw both needs and he saw both were wrong. But he realized if he just dived right into the situation, to the tension, he would alienate one of the groups. And because this issue that he was going to talk about was highly personal highly emotional and also very theological. He decided to use the right approach. And sometimes it's not best as parents know this. Sometimes it's best not to just dive right in. Sometimes it's best to go around. Right? And and you deal with you try to bring people in and Jesus is the master. And when he's teaching what we're going to look at today, he shows us what God looks like in here in his heart, how he loves. And there were preconceived ideas on both sides. And and Jesus opens up to us a whole new world. So we're going to look at the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. If you want to open your Bibles, you can. If you didn't bring your Bible, the, the, the scriptures will be on the screen, but you might want to bring one next time because you never know if what is on the screen is in your Bible. I've been known to make mistakes. So it's always good to check it. We read here. Luke chapter 15 and verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners. Now, I got to tell you about this because there's two different categories here. As we talked about several months ago, you know, tax collectors had their own category. They were beyond sinners. They were sinners and then some because they were traitors These guys would roll up in their black, tricked out escalades with tinted black windows. Like, can you imagine just four of them rolling up? Here's Jesus teaching, and then they roll up. Everybody knew who they were. Those are the tax collectors. And they had their pyramid schemes. Of how they would collect taxes. You'd have one guy at the top and then all the others that would spread out. And they were basically authorized by Rome to collect as much tax as they wanted as long as Rome got a cut. So how would you feel? How do you feel about tax collectors today? Same thing, except worse. They were not loved. And then you've got sinners. We're talking about prostitutes. We're talking about people of poor standing. Got in a lot of trouble. And so he's got this group of people. And and the interesting thing is that they all gathered around to hear Jesus. Does that strike you as odd? Here's the rabbi, the teacher from God. And guess who shows up to listen to his lessons? The worst of the worst. In fact, they would get there early and they would sit in the front rows. And the religious people would have to sit in the back because all the the sinful people and all the tax collectors would take up the front rows. And so they would be in the back and the sinful people. What would our church look like if we had these kinds of people flocking to hear the word of God? That's Jesus's ministry. That's that's what we need to, to strive for one day if we're truly teaching so we won't alienate people, but rather they'll want to come in. And they'll want to hear. And that's the thing about Jesus. People, now this is important. People were not, that were nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. And Jesus, who was nothing like them, liked them. What would that be like in our church? If people felt like by us even though they're nothing like us you see Jesus did stand for the truth and then, so then you got the second group we move on to, to, to them and the second group they, they, they're there and we look at them in verse 2 the Pharisees and the teachers now these are the religious leaders of the law they muttered you know what muttering is Mm-hmm. sometimes muttering is silent you're thinking it a lot of us do muttering in church you know, like, like a ventriloquist the mouth doesn't move but the heart speaks really hate that song really hate who I'm sitting next to right? really don't like being here. I wish you were home watching television, the U.S. Open, or soccer. You know, they muttered. And why do these sinful people get to sit in the front and i got to sit in the back? Okay, they muttered. And look what they said. They, te- they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See, they had an issue with Jesus because he liked them and they liked him. But guess who didn't feel liked? The people that were more like Jesus didn't feel liked by Jesus. Isn't that interesting? In fact, they felt pushed out. Because Jesus focused so much of His time and His ministry on who? People that were lost and that needed God. And He said, this man welcomes them. In other words, He eats with them. To eat with somebody means you have a close proximity with them. And so they took that to mean that He must condone. Does Jesus condone what they do? Are, Are we in the church now because we welcome these people into our church? Do we now condone what these people do? You can almost hear it. He loved them. And this is huge in our religious world today. You and I have to take a step back. And so he's got this group. And so he begins, rather than directly dealing with the conflict and the tension, he tells a parable. He tells actually a couple of parables. Now, this is a parable. Something untrue used to illustrate something that is true. It's completely fabricated. But it addresses the issue. So he starts out in verse 4. He says this. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So he brings up this issue of of losing something. And all of us, all of us can relate to that. In fact, both groups, the tax collectors and sinful people, they could relate. And the, the people that were Pharisees and teachers of the law, they could relate. In fact, it happened to me this morning. I lost something. That's what they were thinking. And so he had both groups going like this. Yeah, yeah, I know what that's like. Yep. Yeah. And they're, they're feeling uncomfortable because they're shaking their head with the group next to them. That they've never, this was historical, they've never agreed on anything ever, and they're agreeing with this parable. What's that tell you about Jesus' communication skills? Wow. He's bringing both groups together to agree on something. You know when you lost something? What does the person do when they've lost something? Doesn't he leave the 99? And go into the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. I mean, wouldn't he just abandon everything? And then he goes on to tell, you know, about the, the the verse, and he says that basically God is happier, God is happier with finding that one lost sheep than he is about the 99 that are still with him. And he gives us a he gives us a vision of God's heart, God's value system. He wants to find What's lost and everybody at this point is agreeing. And so he finishes that parable and he goes right in. He sees that there's women in the house, women in his audience. And he says, listen, I'm going to go into this next one. And he tells this one or suppose a woman to, you know, include them also because women need to be included. Right. Isn't that amazing. Jesus included women in his ministry. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. OK, it really wasn't. For us, it would be like she lost her engagement ring. That's what the significance of this coin is. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And all the women in the in the group are going, yep, the sinful women, then the religious women, they're all going, yep, yep, that's what I would do. And the husbands in the group, yep, that's what she would do. <laughs> she would do that. In fact. She, she would call me home from work to move all the furniture out of the house, sweep it clean until she found it. No one would sleep in the house until that ring was found. And when she finds it, there is more rejoicing in heaven over finding that lost person than there is about something that's not lost. Lost. And so Jesus, he he goes on and he begins with another parable. And this is where it gets intense. Okay, he's got everybody in the group shaking their head, agreeing, and that continues. Okay, and he starts to talk about a parable of two sons. And most of us who were raised in Sunday school, we know about this parable. We've heard of it. The prodigal son. But it's actually a parable about two sons. A Father's Day special that gives you an open door into the heart of God. And he begins and he talks about the birth order challenge. Now, birth order. The older sons, can can I get a raise of hands of all the oldest sons and daughters? Raise your hand if you're the oldest in your family. The firstborn. Okay, You guys are the behaviors. You're the behaviors. Because if you didn't behave, guess what happened? Being the oldest. You got it. You got it good. So you're the behaviors you learned at a very young age. You better behave, right? You're the behaviors. Now, I won't have a show of hands of all the youngest sons because they're probably not here in church today. They're, they're the misbehavers. They're still asleep. I know, I know. I'm a youngest son. I know, I know. But, but that's kind of the M.O. for the youngest. They're the misbehavers, Right? They're the mischievous ones. They get into trouble. Jesus addresses this issue. And all of us come from that birth order challenge. And so he talks about it in Luke 15, verse 11. He says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Now in a parable, in a parable, always. Somebody's God. Somebody's us. Always. And our job is to figure out who's who. Now, this one's pretty easy. Who's the father? God is. And he's got two sons. He's got one son. And he's got one son. Guess who's in the audience? The same. The exact same. And so he goes into it. The master communicator. Jesus, he speaks to his audience in Luke. And I'm going to tell you, you know, it doesn't, won't help you to read your Bible this time, because I'm going to paraphrase it in the way that they would have heard this parable. So the younger, this younger son came to his father and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. So that I could get my inheritance Now. Versus having to wait till you die. Can you go ahead and play like you're dead? So I can get my inheritance now. Now, everybody in the audience feels exactly the same way you feel right now. What would it be like for a son to say that to his dad? I mean, it just starts to well up in you. How disrespectful, how awful. Would that be to wish that upon your dad who provided for you, that little brat? who does he think he is? I and mean, you just hear it in the crowd, what? He said, "What? And go ahead and give me the money and my stuff now. And you can imagine how people were feeling. Now Jesus takes the parable. You know, because most people are feeling, okay, here comes Jesus. I know you're going to tell the story like it is. is. You're going And everybody, the tax collectors and sinners are in agreement. They, they're mad. at the, the younger son, how could he possibly? The, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're all in agreement. This guy deserves a kick in the hind end. I mean, hard. Then Jesus takes the parable in a completely unpredictable direction for his audience. Nobody expected this. 1512. So he divided his property between them. He did what? The dad did what? Do you know how disrespectful it is for him to even ask this? But the dad went along with it. He did it. He divided. He sold. He, he, he bartered. He put together everything, money and property, and gave it to the son. You know, the younger son would have got between a third and 25% of all the estate if there were just two. The older son gets the larger portion, two-thirds, if not three-fourths. That's how it works in that order, in the birth order in those times. But he had to put together, and he's worked his whole life, and just goes, here, son, can you imagine the fear? The vulnerability to give it to him? And, and they're all, all, everybody in the audience is saying, what kind of father would do such a thing? Guess who? Our father did that, does that with us. We demand our independence. We demand our stuff. And the story goes on. The younger son, he basically comes to the conclusion later in the parable and says, This town is too small for me. It's boring. This place is boring. I want to go where the action is. I got all this stuff. I got all this money. So I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to to leave, and I'm going to move to a distant country. Why a distant country? Why do kids sometimes want to go far, far, far away for college? To this remote place where no one knows who they are. To do what? To be their own man. To be their own woman. And so he moves there and he begins to live a lifestyle that he could not afford. And the Bible says that it was wild living, kind of Vegas style. Viva Las Vegas. And he was a high roller for a little while. Until he spent everything his father worked his whole life for. How long would it take you to spend a fortune in Las Vegas? A life savings. How long could it take? You know, it could be, depends upon how you play the game, but it can go fast. And it went fast. It says not long after that, he spent everything. Either that or he lost everything. He was broke. So he had to go get a job. And in getting a job, he may have had to get another job. And then guess what happens at the very same time? He's going through this hardship. There's a severe famine in the land. And everybody in the audience is going, Yes! He finally got what he deserved. That little spoiled brat. Ungrateful. And guess what he had to do? For a Jew, he had to go work for pigs work with pigs which were considered vile and disgraceful unclean it is it would be like for us working with pigs and then some but I mean in the muck and mire and the smell and it's just awful but that's the only job that he could get and he was looking you ever seen pig food I remember the pig farmers used to come. When I worked at a supermarket, they would come early in the morning and they would get the food that was left over from the day before. And they put it in a special dumpster. All the spoiled, rotten, nasty food that no one bought was going bad. They put it in a dumpster. And all the meat parts, you know, that would be thrown out. They'd throw it all in this dumpster. It was nasty. I remember I was going in the back and I watched the guy pick up all the pig food. And when they open it up the smell would just hit you in the nose it was the nastiest stuff this younger son looked at that nasty stuff and said "Mm, i wish i could eat that because i'm starving to death i've got no food he's hit rock bottom and everybody in the audience is loving it Jesus could have finished the parable right here and they would have walked home and gone, awesome, awesome. In fact, I'm going to tell my whole, we're going to have a family Devo when I get home. And I'm going to tell my kids this awesome parable that Jesus has told. You mess with dad, you disrespect your dad, and look what happens. Jesus just told me this parable. They would have loved it. But Jesus didn't stop there. And it says here in Luke chapter 15, verse 17, when he came to his senses, he woke up. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I'm out here starving to death? What's this tell you about the dad? How does he treat his employees? What's it tell you about his character and his heart? And Jesus is describing God here. He's generous, even to his employees. And he remembered that. And then he comes up with a plan. He makes a plan and he comes up with a speech and he makes a speech and I will set out for I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned. Which is what he did. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I've offended God and I've offended you both. And then we read in verse 19, his speech continues, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hand. He realizes he's forfeited his birthright to be, but he just wants to eat. He just wants to survive. He's willing to humble himself. In fact, it would have taken a great deal of courage for him to go back. But that's how low he was. So he got up and went to his father. And then we read on in Luke 15, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with fill in the blank. You know the story if you said joy. If you're in the audience, if you're in the audience, you've never heard this parable before. What's the first word that would come out of your mouth when you look at that son and all he's done? He was filled with what? Anger. You know, joy is people who know the parable. You've read it before. I want you to put yourself in the position of the audience. What would the Father be filled with? What is is our our natural characteristic? Anger would have been the first thing. The overwhelming consensus. If we would have just stopped there and said, okay, everybody, the Father was filled with what? You tell me. Anger. Because they were filled with anger. How dare Him? And now He wants to come back all smelly and dirty. And He's broke. He wasted everything. And it wasn't just his father's life savings. It was his grandfather and his great-great-grandfather. It was what was, it was, what was given. It was passed on. What a despicable thing. And so for them in their setting would be righteous indignation is the normal reaction. Right? I'm going to kick him in the you-know-what. And I'm going to take him out in the public square and he's going to get a whooping. I don't care if he is 23 years old. And that's what they would do at that time. Here's where Jesus Jesus does the unpredictable. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. His heart ached for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around his son. And he kissed him. Pig, smell, and all. What does this tell you about God's heart? Here it is. The perfect description of filled with grace and truth and remember the audience this is what one wants and what the other one wants and he goes on in verse 21 the son said to him father i have sinned against heaven and against you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son and he and he continues in verse 22 but the father interrupts him in his speech Halfway in his speech, he stops him, doesn't even talk to him, looks to the servant and says, quick, I got a problem with this. Wouldn't you have a problem with this? Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Wouldn't you want to wait? When you want to give it a little time, when you want him to sit in the guest house for a little while and, and earn it back a little bit, make sure he's in his right mind, Why quick? There's a problem with quick. I have a problem with quick. Does God have a problem with quick? Because what's God focused on? What's Jesus telling us that He is focused on? His son? He's focused on his son. And then in verse 23, it didn't stop there. Bring the fattened calf. Now, fattened calf is the barbecue of all barbecues. It's like baby back ribs and then some. They would have a fattened calf for a special occasion. Weddings, graduations from college only. A birthday with a zero on the end. Something big. Something significant. It was a special meal, a special barbecue. And then he says, kill it. Let's have a feast. And let's do what? Celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Now, most of you grew up in church, been around church. That's all you heard. You didn't get to this part here. And this is where... Our angry bird comes. I got to tell you, there's a there's a there's a, a warning label in this lesson. This may make some of you feel very uncomfortable as it did me. And too often people leave out the older son. It's equally vital, equally important to the parable. And I would say in a church setting, it's probably essential for us to deal with. Now, in verse 25. The older brother comes in from the field. He's been working all day. Hard work in those days. He sees the smoke coming from the, the, the outdoor grill. Probably smells it. Okay and he knows that smell because he smelled it a couple times in his life. Those are baby calf ribs. <laughs> and, and mom's got the special sauce going and it's finger licking. I mean, wow. And he's like, wait a second. I wasn't invited to this party. What's going on? So he calls over one of the servants and he asks the servant, what's the deal? And the servant tells him, Your brother's back. Ooh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what he's feeling? Can you imagine what the audience is feeling? Everyone in Jesus' audience identifies with the older brother. Everybody. Because of the honor-dishonor way that they thought in that time. He terribly dishonored his father. He, indis- he disgraced the whole family in front of the whole village. Everybody heard about this. The word gets around in a small village. People know each other. They know what happened to Johnny and what he did. And they, they probably bought some of the stuff that was sold. They knew. How would you feel if you were the older brother and he did what he did to your dad? Ooh, let me add him. If dad doesn't deal with him, I will. I'll take care of him. And Jesus goes ahead and says what everybody's thinking. And he describes the older brother here in verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He's angry. Now, I've got to stop here. Have you ever met an angry Christian? You ever come across an angry Christian? Why are they angry? Where does the anger come from? Why all that frustration? I have done everything right. I am here in church I give my tithe. I do what's right. I come to church. I, I I didn't get involved in that relationship before. I've been doing it right, and I've raised my kids in the church. I've been doing it right my whole life, haven't wavered to the right or to the left. And then these brats come in the door, all a wreck, and we celebrate their baptism. That, that brother or sister that walks in the door who's been gone for 10 years doing who knows what, and he just wants to walk in and get restored and like nothing happened? Are you kidding? Really? And this permeates our society. Angry Christians. You can see them on the news with their signs. They're angry. And they lose perspective. And so what happens? He's angry. He won't go in to the party. And, you know, another one's here. You ever met an angry nun? Some of us were educated by angry nuns, with rulers, no doubt. Why are these people so angry? And some of you here today have stopped going to church. And this may be one in a very rare occasion times that you come to church. You stop going. You know why you stop going? You'll say it. Angry Christian. I saw them and I went the other way. Because I walked into church and they looked at me and they looked at me with those eyes of hatred. Hatred. Because of my lifestyle. They didn't embrace me. They didn't love me. And what's this tell you about Jesus? And some of you have used that excuse of why you stopped coming to church. Angry Christians are your reason. And it explains away your lifestyle. But you're missing the point. Same as the older brother missed the point. Dad's just trying to throw a party because the family is back together again. What's the point? What's God after? What's he want? What's his heart? What's his goal? And here's the interesting thing. Neither brother wants to go to the party. You, you've got the, the younger brother. He doesn't feel like he deserves to be in the party. He's out in the front of the house. And then you've got the older brother. He's out in the back of the house. He won't go in. The younger brother's saying, I'm not going in. I don't deserve to be here. The older brother's saying, I'm not going in because that younger brother of mine, he doesn't deserve to be in. No way am I going to this party. It's completely on its head, this whole thing. And dad's caught in the middle. It's Father's Day. And look what we've got. Some of you don't go to church. Some of you don't want anything to do with God. Because maybe you don't feel deserving or worthy. You know you've got stuff. Your conscience is it's just eating you up on the inside. There's no way I'll cross that line. I can't go to church. Those people are holy. Those people are, are good people. I'm not. Or you're just as mad at those angry Christians, you want nothing to do with them. And then some of us won't let people in. Because we've got an axe to grind with them. Those ugly, sinful people, all happy with their addictions and excessive lifestyles. Way off the rail living. And here's God in the middle. I just want my family together. You know what a Father's Day wants on Father's Day? You know what his biggest dream is? His biggest heart's desire? Jesus is painting this picture. He's telling it exactly how it is. On Father's Day, on every day, it doesn't matter. This is God's heart. You need to peel the curtains back away from religion and religiosity and come to grips with your dad. You know in your heart of hearts you believe in him. You know he exists. Your conscience has been screaming out. He just wants you home. And the older brother has a speech. You know, the younger brother had a speech. Now the older brother's got a speech. Listen to his speech. Verse 28. The older brother became very angry and refused to go in. So the father went out. He went out of the house and he pleaded with him. It's like he got down on one knee. First, he humiliates himself with the younger son. Now he humiliates himself with the older son. He's begging with him. Amen. But he answered to his father Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes. Now, I know you haven't talked to mom about it and you don't talk about it, but I know what he did and I know what went on. So I'm going to say it. All that ugly stuff that he did. He comes home and you killed a fattened calf. That calf was for me. That party was for me. And then the father says, My son, you've always been what? With me. You've always been with me. And everything that I have, everything that I have is yours. We're not going to redivide the inheritance. He lost it. He blew it. Everything is yours, it's all yours. You have my heart. You have the relationship with me. Because we had to celebrate and be glad. Why can't you be glad? Why can't you be happy that your brother's back? That he's alive? That he didn't die? That we didn't lose him? We can bring him back. We can, we can reteach him. We can re... I get it. I know what your problem is. Son, I... I think you thought this was all about your behavior. You thought you could behave your way into a relationship with me. See, you thought this was about performance. And you've been trying to earn my love. Instead of not realizing it, you have my love. I love you. This brother of yours was dead. And see, what Jesus is saying through this parable right here is he's saying, it's not about performance. It's about proximity. And they both missed it. The younger brother missed it. And the older brother missed it. Guess who else misses it? A lot. You and I. And we get caught in one group or the other group. This parable is so fitting for us today. If you're visiting here with us, if you're a guest, this is so fitting. But you've got to sort it out. You've got to deal with the whole thing on Father's Day. This week, I would encourage you to sort it out. To ask yourself some hard questions. To deal with it. Here's a point, and we're going to wrap it up. God could not love you more. You've got the max. Nothing you do will cause Him to love you less. Do you realize that? In a little while, we're going to study... we're We're going to celebrate the communion. Do you know what the communion is all about? This. God could not love you more. And nothing you do will cause you or cause him to love you less. That's what the cross speaks to. That's what Jesus is speaking to here. And when we get this, when we get this down... This is what's going to happen. Sin will always break our hearts. You know, a good parent, when when their kids have messed up and been in sin, their first reaction is not anger. Their first reaction is what? Breaks their heart. It grieves their heart. They, they, They bend over and they go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I can't believe they've done this to their life and to the people around them. And then sin will always break our hearts, but repentance will stir our hearts. So I wanna I wanna take just a minute to address the front rows. You know who's in the front rows in Jesus' setting? The tax collectors and sinners. Many of you have turned your back on God because of angry Christians. You hate it. You hate anything that has to do with organized religion because of what you've experienced. And it's been your excuse for years. But you've missed the point. And there's a tension in your life. There's a guilt. And you've missed the heart of God. But He loves you. And it's time to turn back and say, like the younger son, and say, I need to come home to God. And it's not about embracing, you know, a church right away. You've got you've to get the first step is, I'm separated from God. I've hardened my heart towards God. I've been living a lifestyle that He doesn't, he doesn't approve of, and it hurts His heart. I've got to reconnect. See, when, when you have that heart and that relationship Behavior comes as a consequence. When you love God, you want to do right. Because you realize performance isn't the way to the relationship. You've already got the relationship, so you want to perform. Just like in a love relationship that you would have with your husband or your wife or with your children. You already have the relationship, and because of that, you perform, you love. So let's wrap this up. For the Son of Man came. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save what was lost. On Father's Day. What is God after? His lost sons. So when someone comes through those doors and, you know, it takes a lot of courage to come to church. You know why? Because you've got to face up to what you've done. Right? Do you think people that walk through those doors want to look at Christians with hateful eyes? Uh-uh. What do they need? What do they want? They want a hug. They want to know we love you and God loves you and we can work this out. That's what Jesus did. That's why the tax collectors and sinners. Surrounded, They crowded around Jesus because they felt liked by Him. It didn't mean He approved of their behavior and their lifestyle, but what it meant is, I love you and I'll help you with your lifestyle. I'll teach you what it means. I'll motivate you to want to live that lifestyle. And just some simple things that I want to leave you with, because, you know, we need some action points. Do an inventory of your anger. For the members of the church, I want you to do an inventory of your anger. Who are you angry with and why? If you're an angry person, I really want you to do an inventory. And if you're a guest here today, I invite you to do our core four Bible study so you can get to know the heart of God even better. So that God can be somebody you know.